Hey everybody, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us. We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Hey guys, before we get to the podcast, just want to remind you to rate and review the podcast. That'll make sure that if somebody looks up Exodus or Ruth, uh, that they will be able to pull up our podcast and, and see what we have to say on different sections of the Bible. Also, if you have any questions or comments or things that you want to share with us, uh, you can email us now. We now have an email address of growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. That's growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you, even just uh, saying, hey, we're listening and really appreciate it or something like that. I don't know. Uh, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Now on to the podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, on the podcast today, um, we're going to be going through the end of chapter 12. This is the first one we kind of broke up into sections. Um, but before we get into uh, diving into to the Word, uh, just wanted to say um, thank you. We've, we got a, um, a letter in the mail. We actually got mail. It was worthwhile. <laughs> it was really exciting, actually. Yeah, yeah, like nobody ever sends us letters anymore. Um, actually, th- that might actually be like the first real letter <laughs> I think I remember receiving here. Mm-hmm. You know, at our at our house, we've been here. What? How, how long has it been? Eight eight, eight years. years. Um, but we received a letter in the mail. Uh, from uh, Miss Karen, who um, she just thanked us for the podcast, and she let us know that. Um, that every day she listens before she starts work and stuff and like how how important that is to her. I had shared I had shared the podcast like on our, our like to our church, you know, at, at whoever I could get emails for. I was like, hey, you know, this is what we're doing and we're wanting to read scripture together and read it in context and we're just interested in kind of talking through it and if you're interested in joining us with that, then we want you to we want you to jump on board with us, and and maybe it'll help you too. And um, and she did that. And she started listening to it, and um, she just thanked us for doing it. And that just really, it was just a really encouraging letter that took time to actually write. You know, like handwritten letters, it just doesn't happen anymore. And so for somebody to sit down and do that, it means so much. Yeah, um, and I think for us, we've had. We've been navigating some difficult decisions, and thankfully, we've been on a united front as far as those go, but it has been still challenging, and we're sitting here having hard conversations about directions we should go, and and to some extent, that includes the podcast of, you yeah. know, um, what's reasonable for us and, and what makes sense for us, and um, so to to receive that was very reaffirming yeah it was really encouraging yeah it was encouraging in a time that we needed it Mm -hmm. and where yeah we are we you know we're talking about the stuff you know that we're doing and what 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 should our priorities be and stuff and and we feel like this is doing this is really helpful to both me and you and then also to to anybody that might want to listen to it it helps us get our thoughts together and Mm -hmm. it doesn't you know it's just a it's a way for us to work out scripture in in real life, yeah. you know that we we try to we try to wrestle with it, and do we 
have we gotten everything right? Probably not, you know, but we're, we know more, <laughs> you know, like yeah. we actually know more of the scriptures than we ever have because mm-hmm. this is what we're sitting here doing. And, um, and so hopefully that's been the same for you guys as well. And, uh, just want to thank, uh, thank Karen for sending us that it was, it was a big encouragement in a time that we needed it, uh, in times where we're kind of going some different directions than where we've been going. And, um, and we're going to keep doing this. This is something we, me and you, Melissa, we both love doing Mm -hmm. this. And so we feel like it's been both impactful to us and to others. And so we're going to, we're going to keep going that way. Do you have Uh, anything else? Well, Moving on to a a funner note. Yeah. I get. I mean, that is fun. It was yeah. fun for us. It might not be yeah. fun for the listener to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but uh, on definitely a funnier note. Um, <laughs> so we were in we were in Target the other day, and I decided I was like, you know what, our whole family is in Target. Now is the time to get. <laughs> flu shots for the family which to get me to get a flu shot you have to sneak it in on me yeah and and basically if, she if was like gonna go to the doctor alone like i'll be like hey when you're at the doctor remember to mention this and he won't mention it and so i'm like i'm gonna literally have to like go if she, with if you. she had told me we're gonna go to Publix and we're gonna get a flu shot while we're there i'd have been like you know i'll stay here with sadie yeah. and i'll read you know, or something, I, you know, I'll, I'll just hang out here. But I was actually like avoiding doing some work. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I'll go to Publix with you. Or not, it was a, a Target. Well, we, Tar- I was going to go to Publix, but then I realized Target had them too. And they had the, Publix has like a five or $10 gift card, but Target also had it. They had like a $5 gift card um, per flu shot. So... I was like, we're already here. We you didn't. Don't. Min- by the way, you just didn't mention any of that to me when we left. Like well, it was, was not even on my radar that as a possibility. Was irrelevant. It was irrelevant. <laughs> and so we get there, and like we walk around a little bit, and she's like taking her time, which Melissa usually never takes her time in Target or the grocery store, and I'm not picking up on any of it. I'm an I'm an in and out of the store kind of gal. <laughs> um, I she, know what she gets I'm mad there at for. me. Yeah, she gets mad at me most of the time for you know dilly dallying and. Being like, oh, let's go look at this or whatever. Like, I'm just, I'm just not a. We have to get in, get out, and get back. But like, I'm not picking up on any of it. I've always been that way, but I'm even more that way when I'm with like Sadie because she definitely has like a time limit on how long she's gonna be cool with sitting in the buggy. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of know, like, I don't want to be dealing with her trying to stand up in the buggy and all that stuff. So yeah. anyway. But we're just kind of leisurely walking around. Because, see, the pharmacy didn't open until, like, I think it was on a Sunday. So it didn't open until, like, 11. So I had to, like, stall a little bit until they opened because we, we got there, like, 1030 or something. So, anyways, I also, I couldn't say anything. I didn't want to say anything because Caleb, he's awful at the doctor. Right, it wasn't we, you were I hiding think, it from me. You were hiding it from Caleb. I was hiding it from both of you because you were both <laughs> going to be babies about it. And uh, Caleb, I think we might have mentioned on a prior podcast how you had to take him to the doctor for COVID, or he right. didn't have COVID, but you had to get him tested, and right. how awful that was. And I was like, you know, I've taken them, I've taken him to every doctor's appointment his entire life, so this was kind of like my one, you know. Recruit. I got really, well, you, I got really worked on Sunday. Oh yeah, I got worked. Yeah, so he doesn't, Garrett doesn't get a flu shot every year, but I felt like this year it was especially 
important, and the only way I was going to get him to get one is if I was there with Loki. him. Loki. Yeah. Anyways, so Caleb, uh, we, we get up there, and, you know, Caleb's cool because he's in Target, and he doesn't know Target as a place where he gets any kind of shots or medical care. <laughs> you know, he usually tar- gets books. He, he and, loves Target. And toys. That kid wants to go to Target every day, like, yeah. if he if he had the choice. And, um... So I'm standing there, I'm, you know, telling them all of our information and everything. And suddenly Caleb realizes I'm about to get a shot. And I said, yeah, but me and daddy are too. And I feel like I had to convince Garrett to be on my team against (laughs) Caleb. uh, Because at first it felt like it was me versus Caleb and Garrett. Sadie had already gotten her flu flu shot at her like two year checkup. So she was in the clear anyway. Uh. But, so they're just, you know, both looking pretty bitter at me and stuff. So then, me and Garrett get our shots first. We're trying to show Caleb how brave we are. How brave I am, yes. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, when he when it's his turn, and he was wearing a long sleeve shirt, so we had to, like, kind of adjust his shirt. Wrestle his shirt yeah. off of him. Yeah. And just, you know, that, that one arm. And, and, and uh, he is blood-curdling, screaming at this point. And so... Just uh, the picture is that over by the pharmacy that just opened, um, you've got two adults that are ripping a shirt off of a child. <laughs> so it's a great picture, you know, that you just it, like you wonder has this happened before? And some like people didn't do something when they were supposed to, but either yeah. way, yeah, I, with, we're ripping a shirt off of a child with so a two year with a two year old that's just kind of standing there in the background who could have walked off probably at any moment. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so he was screaming, kicking. Garrett had to hold his arms down really strong. I was helping to try right. to like hold all the him all down. the WCW watching I did as a kid. <laughs> Finally really pay, paying really off. Really paid off. Yeah, so we yeah. did that, and he gets the shot. Immediately, he's fine. <laughs> no, like he's just like oh. oh, you know, he picks out his green sucker from the pharmacist, and uh, as we're walking away. Yeah, we make make it like three or four steps. Like, and, probably and, the guy who gave him the flu shot could hear him say this. Yeah. That's how close this was. Yeah. And he says... Big crowd standing around wondering <laughs> who's killing a child. You know, they're yeah. all wondering what's yeah. going on. And he says, you know, that flu shot was nothing to worry about. That was nothing to worry about. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, after all that... I wish it you could hilarious. just remember, I wish there was a way for him to remember that the next time that he goes and gets the shot, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. It'll, the next time, it's, it, it's shots, it's all the anticipation. It's just, I mean, it's, it's really no different than getting blood drawn. I, I mean, I hate that too. It, it's just the anticipation of the perceived well, getting pain. Well, blood drawn though lasts longer, and so I don't like that as much. I, I mean, it's just, this, I mean, both of them are. I mean, somebody's poking something into your body. That's not like enjoyable. That's not enjoyable. You're not, you know, that's not natural. Um, and so it's it's just that like the the hardest part, the the worst part is always just the anticipation of what's coming. Yeah. You know, and you're like ah. Oh, so I I hate shots. I can't stand them. Uh, if I if I can not bring them up whenever I go to the doctor, I prefer yeah. That. And Sadie's just standing over there, and she's pointing at Caleb and saying, boo-boo. Yeah. So she just... We all got Band-Aids for boo-boos. And so Sadie was excited we had boo-boos. Yeah. She got a real kick out of it. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah, she enjoyed herself. But, 
Yeah, that was a that was a good time. Just locking him down and you know wrestling a child. Yeah, good times. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Glad I was glad Garrett was there because usually I get I'm like sweating by the time I leave the doctor's office from how terrified he's been or whatever. Even yeah. though like nothing bad has I mean I guess a shot's bad, but I mean nothing worse than a shot has ever happened to him at the doctor's office. Yeah. Yeah. Um so anyway. Today is October first. So it's whoop, whoop. it's freaking fall, y'all. For real. <laughs> it's freaking fall, y'all. I love fall and I love October. October's probably if there's a favorite month I have, October's my favorite month. Yeah. October is by far my favorite month. I yeah. don't have you know, November, you know, kinda like October, but October is my favorite month. And uh but like I I, I just very much enjoyed fall. Tonight was a awesome evening mm-hmm. and um and we so and i've never carved a pumpkin this early in the year but caleb was all pumped about par- carving a pumpkin so i told him he had to wait to at least till october uh <laughs> and so today is october and he uh he got to carve well he <laughs> i got i had the opportunity to carve a really crappy luigi pumpkin he cut he, he- Caleb helped get the guts out. He did. He he did help get the guts out. And he he poked some holes yeah, for me for, for, for the, the stencil, stencil. and mm-hmm. uh and so we got to do that today. Oh, and we also um I have to mention this. Tennessee had their first football game and yep. won. And uh so we had I had at the good mother I am. I had Caleb listen to Rocky Talk. Oh yeah. And uh so today on the way home from school <laughs> By the way, never wake me up to Rocky Top again. Like I love Rocky Top, <laughs> like in all the goodness that I comes with like, it. I was like, but whenever you associate day. it with waking up, like an, like alarm. an alarm clock. Yeah. Whenever I was uh, in high school, when my junior year in high school, you know, like this is the first year driving, you know, as in high school, and you think it is so cool, like you're ready to go to school because. Mm-hmm. This is I'm gonna drive to school for the first time, and it is gonna be awesome. And my baby blue Honda Accord coupe, um, stick shift. It I I look like a stud in this baby blue car, um, and I woke up to ACDC, uh, back in black, um, probably I mean f- at least for a few weeks, and now like now every time I hear that song. Like it makes me, and and it's a great, it's just such a classic. And now I associate it with waking up. It's Mm -hmm. so frustrating. And it was so dumb on my part. I didn't realize, but because you watch like Back to the Future or something and you hear like music that wakes this person up and you're like, oh, that's awesome. I want to wake up to music like that. Yeah. But then it's just like you, you associate it with waking up, which is a horrible feeling. (laughs) To wake up. You need terrible sounds to wake up to. Yeah, so you you take something that's really good and and you do it to something, you know, that sucks, which is like waking up really early. Anyways, Uh, (laughs) the point of this story... I digress. (laughs) ...is that um, today we were on our way home from... I picked up Caleb from preschool and he says, Hey, Mom, can we listen to that that song again? You know, walkie talk. (laughs) I said, walkie talk. I was like, what are you talking about? And he started trying to sing it. And I was like, oh, you mean Rocky Top? And he was like, yeah, yeah, Rocky Top. And so it was just really funny. So uh, we're going to just start singing walkie talk, walkie talk Tennessee, I guess, around yeah. here. So, it, was, it was cute. But though. excited about football season, especially since it was a win. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so uh, we'll, we will 
now awkwardly transition <clears throat> into Exodus. That has nothing to do with the scriptures, so yeah. moving on. Yeah, we'll now go back into, into scriptures. If you guys uh, remember um, last week, we read kind of the first half, really like first almost three quarters of the chapter of chapter 12. And it was, it was the, um, really the laying out of this, of this Passover feast for them. It's going to set the stage for everything that they're going to do, uh, every year. Um, it's their, it's their defining moment. Uh, it's what's going to birth Israel as a nation. And so everything about who they are is defined in this moment where, uh, God delivers them from Egypt and everything's been building up to this point. And so the last chapter was a was a little bit of narrative, but a lot of liturgy of like, here's how you should do this and how you should do that. And I think a lot of times we associate that with bad things. Um, but just like what I was talking about, like whenever you do something, think about Rocky Top, for instance. We associate Rocky Top with good things because Rocky Top happens every time Tennessee scores a touchdown. Mm-hmm. So it's associated strictly with, Good things, but if you're, you know, a Georgia fan, you know who had to listen to Rocky Top whenever Jawan Jennings catches a football in the end zone to ruin your day and your season, then now Rocky Top is associated with bad things. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's all about like what is it associated with, and we I think sometimes we look at you know liturgy stuff like this of like do it like this and here's how you're supposed to do this and. We associate it poorly for some reason, but for them, this is their defining moment. This is a a song that's playing in the background of of a of something that's happening to them that's really good, and so they're going to associate it forever, you know, with something that's their defining moment. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a it's not a um, it's not a burden; it's a gift. You know, this I, this celebration is a gift that they're given. And I, I think that that's just a really beautiful thing to think about. And whenever we, we read even the whole Torah, you know, we think about laws as being negative. But no, 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 no. They were a positive. They were a gift to know what's on God's mind, to know, um, you know, his covenant, you know, desires. That That was unheard of. You know, you had to, like, figure out what God's wanted in the ancient Near East. And maybe if I sacrifice in the right way that, Hey, he, you know, they'll, he'll relent, you know, and do this other thing. And like, or maybe I'll get rain because of it. And the whole point is no, their grace came first. Their grace is now. Um, and it's later that they're going to receive the law and, um, and the covenant commands that are going to come with that. Those are a gift, a gift of knowing God's heart. Um, and so it's, it's about how we associate it, I think. Mm-hmm. And perspective. Uh, yeah, it's perspective on it. It's a way, like, the first set of commands is a gift of a celebration and the way that they're going to rest when they come out um, and they go into their own into their own land. So that's, that's what the last little section was. And we're going to continue that. It's going to continue a narrative and a little bit of lit- lit- liturgy here. Um, as well, and uh, the last response that we got out of the out of the last section was that uh, they bowed down and worshipped. Uh, they knelt down and worshipped Yahweh, and then the Israels went and did everything that they were commanded. All right. And uh, so here's where we're going to pick up in, in verse twenty nine. So you want to read this section? All right. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. 
Pharaoh and his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up! Leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added, and they carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs, troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they, and they, gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, as well as large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough they had brought from Egypt, they baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had, they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for, for the generations to come. All right, so we we finally get, after all this uh, liturgy that we saw of like, here's how you should obey the Passover or like observe the Passover and do do this and this Passover lamb and what that all that represents. Um, you you have it happen and it and it happens in in a matter of a verse and it said you know that in the middle of the night Yahweh struck all the firstborn. He did what he said that he was going to do, and that if if Pharaoh wasn't going to turn and if Pharaoh wasn't going to change his mind, um, that he was he was going to go through all of Egypt and and do this and so, um, and thus he does and it it's a it's a judgment it's a. Mm-hmm. It's a um it it's an eye for an eye judgment. You know, it's something that happens to Egypt uh based off of past sins that they've done and um and so what happened that what they did to others was done unto them. Uh, yeah. those who live by the sword die by the sword. And I think, you know, we were just talking about perspective and I think a lot of times um prior to this when I would think about this type of scripture of the Lord striking down all the firstborn and um, also just there was a loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. Like that's such strong language and Mm -hmm. it it brings about a response in us that is just, this is very hard to read and very hard to accept. But if we do try to flip our perspective on this, uh, to really be in the Israelite shoes where they were wondering... When are you going to do something, God? Mm-hmm. Like they they had a time where they were very discouraged by what seemed like God's inaction. Yeah. And now he's taking this huge step and find and bringing about this justice. And to me, if I look at it that way, I'm like this is really just another reflection of God's faithfulness, of God saying I am going to do what I say I'm going to do. And I think that uh, as parents, that's how we like to parent, is we want 
Caleb to, and Sadie to know if we say something, we mean it. If we have a consequence for something and they don't listen, then that consequence is going to happen. We can't just have these kind of empty empty threats or empty consequences sitting out there. They have to actually have some meat behind them. Yeah, and, and I think it goes back to things that we've talked about before of that, listen, we want a God of justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, like, if you don't... <laughs> If you don't want a God of justice, then you, I don't think you want a good God. And that, because it's like something needs to be done about a tyrant like this, you know, that is take, you know, that is, um, enacting, I mean, th- this, this bookend. So this is like, um, the, the story started out with a, with a great cry of distress. Mm-hmm. It was from the Israelites. Mm-hmm. And now the justice is that now the Israelites are being delivered. And the great cry of distress is coming from Egypt now, yeah. uh, who who enacted the things that happened before, and uh, and so, I think I think eye for an eye gets taken, um, like some sort of negative thing. But I mean, I, I think uh, punishment that fits the crime is is something that makes a lot of sense, and that it like as we, long as it's like enacted by God too. Like yeah, the, sure. I mean, that's yeah, the, the ultimate, the perfect judge. Yeah, but I mean, even still, it's like in our own society we we believe that the punishment should fit the crime yeah you know what i mean like we believe that mm-hmm. in the and, and we feel like if the punishment doesn't fit the crime then justice wasn't done yeah like we really believe that but yet whenever we read stuff like this we're like oh what what, what am i supposed to do with it? no god is god is full of justice it's will he relent yes and we talked about that last time this is this is not by itself right before this was a way out Mm-hmm. Right before this was a way out. So do not, like, we can't just take 29 and 30 as if it's just its own thing and be like, oh, this is this is who God is. It is who God is, but it's not void of the previous section that was like, here's a way, like, anybody that wants to come under this comes under this. And I think we and, have to... We have to accept that the only reason that this really bothers us is because we fear that we are Egypt. Yeah. And that otherwise we're like, these people are getting exactly what they deserve. And I think the part of um, the difficulty here, too, is that the firstborn, whether it's children, you know, young children involved or older adults involved, uh, you've got this idea of aren't some of these people innocent? Mm-hmm. Aren't some of these people, you know, and sure they are, but this, you know, <laughs> at some point we just have to accept that God is, knows what he's doing and that this is just, I mean, he's, it, it he's may be the they are. I mean, I think, I think it's even a, a, a great jump to even say, yeah, yeah, they are. I, I think yeah. that it's a. I think that's where we start. Like yeah. we assume, we assume that they're not, that they're not, um, you know, respond in some way responsible for this. And mm-hmm. I think that that's our main problem too. I think we've talked about that. Yeah. Uh, is that, um, that we assume that they're not in any way responsible and we're, we're hoping that, well, maybe, you know, like we don't feel like we're responsible for the things that are happening around us. And so like, if, if God holds us accountable for those things too, like, that you know, we're afraid that's a problem, and so I think, yeah, I think the place where this becomes an issue, it like the person that fears this kind of God, 
uh, is actually the oppressor. They're the ones that fear this God, of a God that brings justice. The one that's um, that's bringing um, oppression down on another group of people, they're the ones that need to fear this God. Um, and so it may, maybe that's us. Maybe we need to be <laughs> uh, asking ourselves the question of, like, are we complacent to these things? Mm-hmm. And, and we've, we've mentioned that before, but um, I, I think this is kind of like the last section that we're really going to have to deal with this. But yeah. so I just want to kind of bring that home and that I, I think that God is complicated and I think that there, if we could just figure him out, then he wouldn't be very big of a God at all. Mm-hmm. What we have is we have a God who is compassionate and gracious, abounding in loyal love, but he's slow to anger. He still gets angry, but he's slow to anger. Uh, and he doesn't let the guilty go unpunished. Right, and that like all of that Exodus thirty four six through seven, is God kind of laying out uh, what He's doing here. He's showing it and demonstrating it here, and He's going to say it in words later uh, on the Covenant Mountain. That listen, you know, I I am full of compassion, and that I want to have compassion, just like I just like Jonah lays out, you know, with Nineveh. I want to do that, but if you choose not to then justice is coming for you. And I'm not going to let the guilty go unpunished, the third and the fourth. That's what he says. And so God's complicated. And I think that it, it's it's not an easy thing to get our heads around. But at the same time, it's like we, we have, a, that's why we have a story. That's why we have a narrative that tells us and tries to explain to us, this is what God's like. Is he full of justice? Yes. Is he full of compassion? Absolutely. So we've got we've to gotta let those two things kind of be in tension sometimes. And realize that, you know, maybe our problem is really with us and not necessarily with God's justice. Mm-hmm. Like we're afraid of his justice and uh, maybe we should be, you know. Um, so anyways, that that's kind of 29 and 30. And then it, you know, Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron into into his hall again, which he, he told him, never see me again, right, before. And now he's coming back into his hall and uh, and he tells them to get out and go. Uh, take every everybody with you, uh, sheep and go- goats, cattle, and and bless also me. Uh, you know, show me show me favor. I mean, he he sees Moses as the um, he seems to, to to now recognize if he hasn't hadn't already is Moses is the vehicle for all this. That yeah, I mean he he told him what was going to happen and it happened. You know and. Um, so y'all, he's the go-between between Yahweh and Pharaoh, and he asked him to bless him. You actually I, laughed. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I Whenever laughed. we read it the first time. Because, yeah. again, it just feels like, um, it just feels fake, again, a, a kind of a fake repentance sort of moment of just, he just wants everything to go back to being okay. Yeah. He doesn't, it's not like it, there's any sense where his heart is changing and that he's accepting God in any way. He just wants the problems to go away. Mm-hmm. And so I just, it's like, really? You just, I I don't know, the audacity to add that at the end. It's almost like command, also, and bless also, also me. Yeah, I, I can see yeah. like, you know, the finger going up in the air, like, Whoa, whoa, whoa! One more, one more thing before you leave. Bless me, please. Yeah, it, and and there's no like you don't really get the follow up of Moses's answer with that. It just is, you kind of get this statement of bless also me. It, I mean, he, it's you you just see you see Pharaoh on his knees, mm-hmm. um, and he that's 
um, you know, where we last, you know, kind of see him, um, before, you know, what, what's to come, but he, um, yeah, he, you just see des you know, he's just desperate at this point mm-hmm. and he's finally given in, um, and let them go in, in their fullness. Um, one thing, uh, this next line, and the Egyptians urged the people in order to hurry their release from the land because they said, all of us will die. So if they stay, they're saying all of us will die. Here's, uh, I just, I thought this was fascinating. Um, and I, we didn't mention this whenever, man, you talked about whenever this before, but that Egyptians urged, it's the same word for hardened. It's the same word. Hmm. Whenever God hardens his heart, hardens Pharaoh's heart, it, the Egyptians, it, it's the same word, hmm. uh, that word urged. Uh, they compelled them. They strengthened them to go. Just fun. I mean, yeah. like whenever you see a rep- repeated word in such an odd place, uh, and so a word that's been used uh, very intentionally throughout the narrative. It's not like you know it's been randomly thrown in other places, and now all of a sudden you have the response is that the Egyptians urged like this word uh, for hardened, the same one, the same one that would be used for. Um, for Joshua to to strength you know um, you know uh, to what what is the line uh, we talked about it last week um, be strong and courageous yeah. sorry um, that same word for that strong they strengthened the people they hard Yahweh fart, hard, farted <laughs> <laughs> that was a slip up uh, hardened Pharaoh's heart same word is right there it's just really interesting you'd never see it um, if you didn't have something where you're looking for uh, those those root words. <laughs> yeah, we farted Pharaoh's heart. <laughs> How do we recover? Oh, we gotta get past that one. Okay, so oh, I haven't had a slip up like that before. That was you, interesting. Why you compose yourself? Uh, yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this section, though, to me, with the silver and gold, I. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, silver and gold. And uh, just taking. You know, how they asked for things from the Egyptians and they gave them whatever they wanted, basically. And just, again, this is repeated language from very early on of God already said this was going to happen. And so I feel like we've, and I think we've even seen this, I don't know, maybe two or three times. It's, at, le- it's at least been twice, yeah, for sure. And so to kind of see it so many times leading up, I think it's again to remind us of God's faithfulness faithfulness in this moment. And now it's it's actually finally happening. And we've been able to kind of trace through of like, yep, I know I'm saying this is going to happen. Just wait, be patient. Like this is, this is the traje- trajectory here. Mm-hmm. And we are finally there. And so it's just really cool to see the things that God said would happen are actually happening. And this part of it is actually like a positive one as opposed to like God said all the firstborn children will, you know, firstborn yeah, males will I, die. I mean, have did. you ever had, you know, like you feel like something happened and then you're like, I had a dream like this happened. Yeah. You know, before Fair, or, or Moses is kind of having that. Except that he's like, no, I like I was told this at a burning freaking bush mm-hmm. that all of this was going to happen, yeah. and that and he and like in his mind he's got to be thinking too, like you'll know that this is a sign. You the sign that I'm going to give you is when you come and worship me at this mountain. Mm-hmm. You, you know all that's got to be going through his head, 
of like what he's seeing transpire is like holy moly this is really happening and it's been leading to that this whole time but now yeah you're starting to see that first thing that first sign um starting to be moving towards that um the the um that God would give Moses and yeah and they and they they basically you know they get they plunder the Egyptians they give them all the it's the same thing that happens whenever <clears throat> Abraham leaves Egypt after you know that story that that was when it started you know that kind of was like a foreshadow of what was to come but they go out like kings mm-hmm. you know they they come in they've been run down they've been beaten down into slaves and now they go out like kings which is which is crazy um uh, this is what Peter ends writes he says the Israelites march out of Egypt through the front door with dignity not like dogs crawling through the back fence but like God's people this exaltation of Israel is another humiliation for Egypt and uh, his point is that they go out with dignity you know mm-hmm. it's not um <clears throat> i think uh especially we probably um tie um Egyptian slavery a lot with American slavery and the things that happened um it, you know prior to the civil war and in you know there's a lot to be said there you know of like of tying those two together um but the way that that you know like you think about underground railroad and like how slaves had to like just to get out they were trying to hide and it it's just like they just instead of one at a time leaving they all just go and they march out like they were kings. I mean, and so I just want to bring like a more modern idea of it and just show you how big of a deal it is that they leave this way. Yeah. Um, is that, you know, this is unheard of, you know, kind of thing. The way that, the way that God gets them out, um, not only through his signs and wonders, but they go out um, like they own the place. You I know? guess before we move move on to kind of the next section or as kind of like a transition into talking about like 37 through the rest of what I read. Um, Something that my mom had brought up to me after one of our podcasts was this idea of how they are having to leave in the middle of the night and being prepared to be able to leave in the middle of the night. I know the NIV, what I read, um, it says that it was at midnight that mm-hmm. that God came. Uh, and yours, though, says some sometime in the middle of the night. Right, in the mid- middle in the, of the in night. In the middle yeah. of the night. Yeah. Um, and I think that there is some kind of tie-in or foreshadowing or something with the idea of Jesus returning like a thief in the night coming and mm-hmm. just always being prepared in this readiness. And I just really appreciated that my mom kind of mentioned that to me because I can definitely see, you know, with how they're trying to, you know, be prepared with having food and everything. And yeah, they did have to take things quickly, but I think going back to the last chapter, we were talking about how they were, you know, doing things quickly Yes, to get ready yeah. and and so the same thing is kind of happening here in that they're they are pretty much ready to go and they are they're doing what they need to do and asking them for the things that they need to ask them for and um just that we don't know exactly when things are going to happen but that we always need to have a mind of readiness. Yeah. And so whenever you mentioned that to me, I went and looked in 
Uh, I've got a book called Echoes of Scripture in the Gospels, written by a guy named Richard B. Hayes. Awesome book. Uh, he goes through all four Gospels and kind of and shows how these writers are interweaving the Hebrew Scriptures into their writing. And he and he uh, he picked up on what your what your mom was mentioning, and he says uh, Luke twelve offers a collection of teachings uh, of teaching materials mostly addressed to Jesus' disciples, counseling them to be prepared for opposition and persecution and to be, be to beware entanglement and concern for material possessions. They are to sell their possessions and give alms, confident that it is the Father's pleasure to give them the kingdom. This confident, counterintuitive counsel is framed by intense eschatological expectation that the day of judgment will reveal all hidden motives and that the Son of Man will come at an unexpected hour. In the midst of this discourse, we come to the admonition, let your loins be girded and your lamps lit. Contextually, in Luke 12, there is no reference to a specific time or place in which the disciples are to be prepared in this way. Rather, the language is metaphorical, exhorting them to live in a state of constant readiness for the coming kingdom by giving generously and leading unencumbered lives. But the metaphor of girded loins is not simply a general admonition. Instead, the language echoes very specifically the, direct, the, the directive given to Israel concerning how to eat the Passover meal in preparation for the flight from Egypt. And we read that last week in chapter 12, verses 11 through 12, to have their loins be girded. He specifically references it. So he continues, By evoking the language of the first Passover, Luke uh, suggests in this distinctively Lucan passage, meaning Luke's the only one that mentions it, that Jesus' disciples are to interpret their own situation analogously. God's judgment is coming, so they must be prepared to be, to be on the move at a moment's notice. Yet for those who are participants in this new time of Passover, the judgment of God is not something to fear. It is instead a moment of impending deliverance and freedom. The point... Poignant. Poignant. We talked about this. We word. talked about this this earlier. What is it? Poignant. 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 The, the G, poignant fusion. The G of, is silent. Yeah. Poignant fusion of warning and celebration that pervades Luke twelve is captured vividly in this fleeting intertextual echo of the Exodus story. This is a good illustration of the way in which the volume of intertextual echo is enhanced by the prominence or familiarity of the precursor text. Exodus 12 is not some obscure bit of scriptural narrative. It is the, a familiar story that Israel recalls year in and year out in its celebration of the Passover. By using the phrase, your loins girded, we see that Luke deftly links the church's present identity to the foundational story of Israel's liberation. So anyways, I know that was long, but the whole point there for him is that he's saying you know the way that that Jesus and Luke use the scriptures is to say you know just like before just like in the passover um that you were to be ready for God's deliverance so are you to be ready now and and that means that has implications for how we live our lives and that we don't it's you know it it's supposed to be a like ready to go now with no you know like no ties or you know kind of thing that we're um you know, we are ready to welcome the Lord home, you know, welcome him, you know, in his coming and that, um, 
you know, we're, we're supposed to be ready for that with our loins girded. He, he uses that language very specifically. And here's the deal is if you don't know this scripture, you'll never pick up that that's what Luke does. But Luke, <laughs> Luke is, is a very, uh, well, uh, he's very adept in his scriptures and he knows what he's doing and any Jewish reader would know what he's doing. And so that's why it's so important that, or at least one of the reasons why it's so important that we understand uh, what they're doing. So your mom nailed that on the head and that, you know, you've got a, a dude, a scholar that's writing that stuff and, you know, she's picking up on that. And I think that's a big deal. Like whenever you read this stuff, it fills out so much more of what Jesus is saying mm-hmm. uh, in the gospels. So there you go. Um, so I guess we'll mention a little bit about the 600,000 men on foot uh, besides women and children. And we don't really have like a great resolution for this. No, Um, and I don't know that there is one. And that's okay. Uh, I do want to, I I guess we need to get why it's a problem. Um, So 600,000 men, there's estimates out there that that would be, that it would really be about 2 million people, including the women and children, which kind of makes sense if you had... 600,000 men, then maybe you'd have about the same number of women, which gets you to like 1.2 million. And then with children, if they eat, they were all married and had one kid, which they probably some had more, uh, then you'd be at 1.8. So, I mean, it just, it, it, the number does make sense to me that uh, we've seen some, I can't ever commentators or whatever, uh, Mm -hmm. say about it. And I think, you know, I was like, wow, that's a bunch of people. Um, the problem is, is that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm she's like, leaning at to you. Me. I'm like, uh, this is where you, come. yeah, I mean, archaeological evidence doesn't seem to support a, a, a number of this at all. You know, like the idea of this many people leaving Egypt, uh, it just seems just ridiculously unlikely. Um, and you know, and, and so we have, that thing you know that to deal with and so uh, one i mean one one explanation that that you know like i i kind of i i get and um and yeah and part of it is that we it just may just be that we don't like we don't have great archaeological evidence you know it's just mm-hmm. like okay you yeah. know like sometimes we don't have the proof that we need you know it's like it's a long time ago we're trying to evaluate something like mm-hmm. that yeah um so it's not that like I don't I don't know that it matters all that much um but the point is that a ton of people left but one mm-hmm. Jewish scholar uh he's like hey you know what what this could what this could be is that this could be the number um that were in the kingdom um whenever David and Solomon were established um and that the way that they viewed it and the way that and the what we what we've seen is the way that Passover is is held is so they say we were once slaves in Egypt, right? We it was like we we all were slaves in Egypt, even though they weren't physically there. Um, but at the time of the writing of this, or maybe the compilation, whenever all of this is kind of coming together, um, you know, maybe that was some sometime around the kingdom, and you've got maybe you know two million people that live in the kingdom at that time. And in their mind, it's like we we were all delivered in Egypt, yeah. You know, and so they're saying out of out of Egypt came us. You know, this is where we came from. Yeah. And so it it could be that it seems to like be a very exact number. So that's kind of a thing yeah. to be like. I oh, think you know. I think for me, like I enjoy I liked hearing that perspective. I don't know if I 
a hundred percent like buy into that, but it was at least interesting to hear like an explanation offered an alternative to that. But regardless, like you were saying, I think the real point here is that it was a lot of people. And to me, this kind of actually helped me better understand Pharaoh's perspective Mm -hmm. of why he might be so nervous about these people. Um, Just from the standpoint of what if the Israelites had revolted? But even more uh, with this scenario, if he's just worried about them leaving, that's a lot of workers leaving that are really sustaining your economy, if you will. Uh, They're the ones doing so much of the work and to all of a sudden lose, I don't know like what percentage of the total population they would be, but that just feels like a lot of workers and essentially money that you would be losing out on. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I can better understand his resistance to allow them to leave. Now, we do know that at first, and really, uh, it's always been, we just want to go for three days. But then Pharaoh, I think, was starting to see the the writing on the wall of, no, they want to go for good. But still, um, either way, it's just this thought of losing this many of your, I I'm gonna say workers. I know they're slaves, but I mean for you know to have that work done and to lose out on that would be a big deal to yeah. just for like society. Yeah, and for sure. I mean, and and also it. I mean, it all just explains like why he's scared. Yeah. You know, if it was this kind of number, like that, and that's part of the the deal is that like the archaeological evidence doesn't even demonstrate that Egypt had this many people. Mm-hmm, yeah. Well, if there's this many Israelites in, in Egypt, you know, if, if this number is, is about, like, legitimately how many Israelites were in Egypt at the time, it's like they vastly outnumber all of them. So, of course, he's terrified. Mm-hmm, yeah. Of course, he's terrified that they're going to take over and they're going to overthrow him. And it's just like everybody, you know, that that's the deal, is that, you know, tyrants fear those who they oppress. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a quote from uh from Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince that Dumbledore is talking with Harry uh and he says uh he he's talking about Harry and the prophecy that was made about him and stuff and why all of that was important and he says Voldemort himself created created his wor- his worst enemy just as tyrants do everywhere or everywhere do have you any idea how much tyrants fear the people they oppress all of them realize that one one day, amongst their many victims, there is sure to be one who rises against them and strikes back. Mm-hmm. And so, and he's talking about how how or you know, Dumbledore is kind of giving this as a listen. Voldemort created his own problems because he feared he feared his downfall, and and really it kind of makes me realize how much uh, the Exodus story has if, has affected even. Uh, you know, modern uh, fiction, you know, that mm-hmm. like that we say, you know, like this is this is an Exodus theme uh, that's being pulled out and that, you know, Pharaoh created his own worst enemy by throwing and this is a separate Pharaoh, but it basically Egypt created their own worst enemy by uh, oppressing the Israelites and throwing these babies into the into the river. One of those babies that went into the river rose up against them. 
You know, it's like they created their own mortal enemies whenever it didn't seem like they were their enemies at all. They were the ones that were trying to help them survive and mm-hmm. and prosper. And so they created their own enemies and part of and then, you know, it's all out of fear. Everything's fear based and that um that you know, if if they if they if they were to rise up that they would totally obliterate us. And the point is yes. Yes they would. But they don't. <laughs> you know? Um and instead, like all of these people are delivered and they walk out the front door and they probably could have destroyed Egypt at these kind of numbers, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. That's, that, I think that, again, it, for me, it reminds me of the of God saying, don't you understand? I could have destroyed you in like one death stroke. Yeah. But instead, I've been patient, you mm-hmm. know, and I've let you continue in this way, um, hoping that you would basically turn around and behave differently. But you don't. Um and so it's kind of like that, I guess. Which you kind of see that with the 430 years of them living. Of the, yeah. And maybe that's uh, in part a showing of God's patience. Yeah. Yeah. Before we do move on to the next section, I would, I, I just, I thought this was an awesome tie. Um, Melissa had brought it up mm-hmm. of like uh, talking about the cakes. Uh, oh, and also go back and, um, in 38, it talks about the mixed multitude. Um, that means that more, it wasn't just Israelites that left. It was Egyptians mm, as well. Yeah. There's Egyptians in their midst um, that have left, or either other slaves or other oppressed people, or those that have recognized Yahweh and, mm-hmm. and say, like, I, we're going with you. The people that have found, that they found favor in, in their eyes, um, that they they go with them. And so this deliverance isn't just for the Israelites. It seems that it's, at least this is a foreshadow of that it's for more than just the Israelites. Mm-hmm. This is something, this this whole story is developing, bringing in others. But anyways. Yeah, cakes. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> when I read cakes, um, obviously I know this isn't a birthday cake, but I was thinking about birthday cake. because it's like celebration. You, <laughs> it's like, yay. Um, yeah, I thought about. It that word cakes obviously made me think about celebrations, and so as I'm reading this, and these people are finally getting to leave Egypt and leave behind their slavery, they're eating, and there's like it just kind of feels like they're celebrating. And yeah, it was without yeast because they didn't have time to prepare the food. I mean, they didn't know what time this would all be happening, so you don't want your bread to be rising and then not ready to go when uh, when you need it. Um but the fact that they have this food that the like it seems like the first thing that they did as they left Egypt was eat. Mhm. And to me when we think about eating together, that's a celebration. Or at least at the center of all of this. Mm-hmm. At the center of all of this is this unleavened bread, mm-hmm. you know, in this feast type of thing that's going on in this celebration <laughs> with the bread. Yeah. Uh, and so at the very least, it, I mean, it is, you know, it makes you think of a birthday cake, I guess, seeing yeah. cakes, but it, it like, it is like, yeah, this is a celebration. Yeah. And let's remember that. Well, uh, and I like also the emphasis of like that they had brought from Egypt. Cause uh-huh. again, it's like that emphasis of leaving like Kings and, mm-hmm. and they're taking things from Egypt with them. They're not leaving empty handed. They're, they have their, uh, their birthday cakes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but, but one, one interesting thing I, I, I 
whenever she asked about it, I just did a quick word search on it. There's been one other occurrence mm-hmm. uh, so far in this in in the Torah. One other occurrence previously um, about cakes, <laughs> about this word, this word, the special word for cakes, and it, it comes up in Genesis 18. Um, and this is a story where these these three men come up to to Abraham as he's sitting under the tree, this tree that he's made his tent under. And they, they they start to pass by. And it says that um, Abraham says to them, you know, like, hey, don't, you know, uh, don't just pass by. Come and eat with me. Right. He says, my Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, do not pass by your servant. Right. Instead, come and eat with me. And it says that he makes three says of fine flour for kneading and making bread cakes. So this is the same word the same hebrew word occurs uh the very next time it's going to occur is in this exodus story uh, that we just read in uh, chapter 12 verse 39 so the very last time that happened was this this instance and what you come to realize as you read the story i very much recommend you to go read uh, chapter 18 uh, of genesis but uh what he comes to realize that this is this is yahweh before him um, he doesn't realize it at first. He's being hospitable to these three men. And then he realizes that this is Yahweh that is in his presence. Um, and that they walk and talk with each other. Um, and it says that um, they they stop and they eat these bread cakes and they, they kill the, this calf to eat. Uh, and then it says that they then pass on uh, and they go to Sodom for judgment, to bring judgment on Sodom. And so it, man, these two stories just really tie together really well. It's like these three men were going to pass by. He says, don't pass by without eating with me. Uh, And so Yahweh eats with them. um, And then they pass by and then they go to judgment. uh, And they go to pour out judgment on Sodom. And just the same way in Exodus, you have like this meal that happens. God passes by and then he goes into judgment um, of, of Egypt. And so I, I think that that's really, uh, really interesting. And these two stories kind of really play on each other, I think, and give um, each other a little bit of texture um, whenever you read them together. So, uh, and then the last thing uh, before we move on to the last section here uh, is verse 30, uh, 41. I, I just think it's really interesting. It, it feels like it's a it's being read to you by somebody. Like somebody's like... Um, giving you the story, and he says, like, on this exact day, um, as if um, it could be saying that on the day in this story, it may be that, um, but I think about this story as one that's being told over and over and over again every year um, about how they were once slaves in Egypt, and they're, it's almost like this the storyteller of the Exodus is saying, on this day, you know, this very day, the one that we're standing in now, you know, is the day that we were delivered from Egypt, and it's making it real to them in the moment, and saying this is the day, and so that you can you can reflect on that and and live like a a person that walked out of Egypt through God's grace, um, and so we're gonna now uh, go on and pick up this next section. And Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner may eat it. But any slave of a man in acquisition by money, and you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. 
A temporary resident and a hired worker may not eat it. It will be eaten in one house. You will not bring part of the meat out from the house to the outside, and you will not break a bone of it. All of the community of Israel will will prepare it. And when an alien dwells with you and he wants to prepare the Passover for Yahweh, every male belonging to him must be circumcised, and then he may come near to prepare it. And he will be as a native of the land, but any uncircumcised man may not eat it. One law will be for the native and for the alien who is dwelling in your midst. And all the Israelites did as Yahweh had commanded Moses and Aaron, and so they did. And it was on exactly this day Yahweh brought the Israelites out from the land of Egypt by their divisions. So when we first read this section, I felt a lot of the same way that I felt uh, about the beginning of chapter 12, which we discussed on the last podcast of just something that I really struggle with it's just hard for me to read for some reason of just like do this, not that mm-hmm. kind of thing where you're trying to make sense of what seems like random rules. Sure. And, uh, but which, then, which, uh, buckle up buttercup cause it's coming. <laughs> buckle up buttercup. Is that what I, isn't that the phrase? Yeah, it is. But, uh, I just can't believe you just said that to me. <laughs> buckle up buttercup. Are you saying that to me or everyone? Well, uh, everybody. <laughs> I mean, it's not coming for a little while, but it is coming. Well, uh, and, and that's, it's just hard to read. And I think that's part of why we don't yeah, tend to read but it. But it's going to be awesome. Okay. So. I believe you. Um, I believe you because when we dug into this, it ended up being one of my favorite sections so far. Um, so to start off with, it kind of sounds like. Foreigners aren't allowed here. Any outsiders aren't allowed here. And then, as you kind of progress through it, it's like, actually, they are. Yeah. Well, so, like, we think about foreigners as if, like, if you're a foreigner, you always remain a foreigner. Yeah. Right? You're stuck that way forever. And, and he's saying, and there's actually provision made for how do you become part of the group? How do you become part of Israel? And so it seems like there is division, but somehow in the division, there's universality that's provided as well, Mm -hmm. where it's like, here's how, here's how we're going to divide. And listen, I want you to observe the Passover. This is awesome. Um, But, you know, I don't want, you know, just some dude that seems to be coming through to eat this holy meal with you. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's something, there is something very special and sacred about this. Um, and, uh, and it seems like at first, yeah, that it's like, oh, the foreigner can't have it, but we can have it, which seems very exclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's something that we don't like. Um, and, and understandably so, but then it's, it's like, as you keep reading, you're like, oh, actually it's not exclusive. It's like, if you do want to be a part of this, here's the way that you can be a part of it. And it changes your actual status. It changes you from being a foreigner to as if you were a native to the land, like you were yeah. born here. And, it, and so I, I think like that redefinition of you, man, that like that feels really out of place in this world context. You know, we think about becoming a citizen of a country. Um, you're still not native born, you know, like we still have mm-hmm. stipulations of like, well, if you're not native born, then you can't be the president of the United States. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
and there's sort certainly things like that, like you can't be you know in the priest class and stuff if you're not in the Levite, but um, but anyways, the idea of like actually <clears throat> it becoming like you were you were born here, and you're one of us in a way that it's a it's a legitimate adoption, the way that we would the way that you know we would probably live out adoption if we brought in a child to our home, you know it would be it would become as if they were our own child, there'd be mm-hmm. no distinction. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that this is, that's the way that this seems to be laid out. Like yeah. this foreigner can become well, that. Like I, I love this idea of the, the same law applies to native born and to the alien living among you. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what you're saying with like adoption is, you know, it would, it's, it's your child. They would have the same rules as your biological yeah. children. And so I just think that that's, that's just really, really neat. Um, the the difference here, you know, because you see like a temporary resident or hired worker may not eat of it. I feel like it's kind of like when you have these passerbys who are going, oh, that's cool. I'd like to try that out just to see what that's like versus someone who is committing and understanding who Yahweh is. Um, because to to take that step to be circumcised and, and to, um, I guess, celebrate the way that they're supposed to celebrate, it requires some level of commitment. And so that's kind of the distinction of, to me anyways, is that like these people who are coming under these aliens, these foreigners that are coming under and being adopted, they are making a commitment to this as well. And they're not just like testing the waters, right? And to be so to come underneath the protection of God, you know there there is a requirement of putting faith in Him, mm-hmm. you know, in that. Um, so it, maybe that feels uncomfortable to us, and and um, but I I don't think that that's really very different, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, like we're for us, we we are giving allegiance to King Jesus. You know, like we're yeah. actually saying, I'm coming underneath your rule. And I I think that's, maybe that's why we have a problem because we only want Savior Jesus. We don't want King Jesus. We don't want a King Jesus that dictates our lives, that tells us what we're supposed to be and that we're, that we're supposed to behave this way, not that way, you know? And that this is the, this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom. We don't want King Jesus. We only want Savior Jesus. Um, but the thing is, is you can't have one or the other. You have both. And, and just the same right here, you've got, you've got savior Yahweh who has saved his people and they're coming underneath the Passover for his protection. But you also have King Yahweh. They're going from King Pharaoh to King Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not like he's redeemed them out of, out, the, out of Egypt. He's bought them, um, at a price. Um, and, and so they're coming under King Yahweh. And so there is this commitment and, um, requirement to say, if you want to come under the Passover and celebrate this rest, then you need to commit yourself to me. Uh, and circumcision is a great way to determine whether or not somebody is committed, I suppose, you know? Um, so, I mean, it was such a big deal that, I mean, that, that Paul would end up saying like, listen, this is way too hard for them to come under, for Gentiles to come underneath this. But this is for the Gentiles. This this whole thing is talking about for the Gentiles that like come underneath the covenant uh, by circumcision. And it it does make you wonder if back in back in Egypt, 
if the Egyptians had the opportunity for the Passover as well while they were yeah, there. Yeah, I think... Uh, so, in context, I think that this is part... Part of this is looking forward to saying that, yes, there's going to be aliens in the land. There are going to be foreigners that are going to come into your midst. But we just read how it was a mixed multitude that left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's almost like it's a provision of what do you do with them? Um, Because you said that only Israelites could eat it. And he's like, yes, only Israelites can eat it. But here's the deal. Those that come underneath the covenant... You guys are the true Israelites. You know, you're the mm-hmm. ones that are actually coming underneath me. And it's not like a, it's not a race-based thing. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's like if we adopted a child, they would be, they would share our last name. That's right, I that's mean, right. They would take on the name um, to bear the name of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And so um, they, it, it, just, it seems like it's provision to be like, yes, they're aliens, but no, they're not. So you're like trying to get in between there. And that's like Paul, what, exactly what Paul's dealing with. He's like, yeah, there's Gentiles and Jews, but not really. You know, like you're all underneath King Jesus. And so he's trying, like there's legitimate like racial differences between them. Mm-hmm. But then they're like, but he's like, but under King Jesus, there is no difference. Yeah. And so he, <laughs> again, I read this and I'm like, oh, this is what Paul is dealing with. He's dealing with the same thing, and he's using his scriptures to like to fill out what he's. This is what it means to be under King Jesus. It's just like being under Yahweh. Why? Because Jesus is Yahweh. He's Yahweh in the flesh. To be under King Jesus is just like this. And so he's saying, if you you know, and what circumcision would turn into the sign of it would be baptism instead. You know, so it's like when you look at baptism and circumcision, those two things really tie together, and it's like the baptism of somebody is kind of like that new thing that we're coming under and putting, you know, like showing that we are coming underneath the trust uh, and pledging our allegiance to King Jesus um, and putting our hope in him. Mm-hmm. And so those two things are very much tied together. Um, so anyways, I, I think that that's just, this is just a really cool thing. Yes, it's law, you know, but it, it's a yeah. really beautiful. But I just, I love this idea of just inviting other people in. <clears throat> yeah. And that is, that's why I love this section so much is when you kind of brought that out for, helped me see that I just kind of fell in love with it. And then the other thing we have to talk about is do not break any of the bones. Yeah. So why is that important? Uh, because Jesus. Because <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Thank you. Check. Yeah. 100 for Melissa. Yeah. Um, basically... Uh, something that I had for when I first read this, I was like, yeah, what, what is the deal with that? And then kind of remembering that when Jesus was crucified, not a bone was broken on him when that would have normally been, um, when someone was hanging on the cross, they would break what their leg. Yeah. If they, if they'd been up there for any long duration, they'd break their legs so they would suffocate faster. Yeah. Um, and so that was, sometimes they wanted to prolong the death and other times they didn't want to do that. So they would break their legs so they couldn't hold themselves up and instead Mm -hmm. they would sink down lower and the way that, you know, I guess your lungs and arms and all that stuff works. It's like, it cuts off air circulation uh, to your lungs. And so you die faster. And so the point was that Jesus died before they got to the point that they would break their legs and why and John says because so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. Yeah, and if you remember too, like Jesus is gave up his last breath. Yes. And so that significance of 
of yes fulfilling the scriptures and also that he is giving himself up for us and it's just this beautiful foreshadow of the true passover lamb that we find in jesus Mm -hmm. and so that it's like you kind of sit here and go okay verse 46 you know do not break any of the bones you kind of are like eh that's not very exciting to read but then when you are connecting it to the new testament you're seeing this like beautiful picture of what's really going on here mm-hmm. of just how this is this is all about you know god being over being able to pass over all of our sin and all of the nastiness that we bring into his world mm-hmm. uh and so it's just it something that feels so random like it's it's kind of like if you put this on your social media is like man i love this verse <laughs> yeah, that would be really weird <laughs> that would be really weird but it yeah it's it's looking forward to something uh very beautiful yeah and so with the um and what what John does too is he calls on the Psalms, and the Psalms call on this, and so it's almost like the Psalm Psalms are pulling out of the Passover. They're pulling out all of this stuff and saying, <clears throat> for this you know suffering servant of all the things that are happening to them. You know, he's like, I count my bones, you know, kind of thing, and they cast lots for my clothes. All of that's in the Psalms, and John is taking that and he's like, dude, all of this was happening right there. Um, and they didn't break his bones. And so he's like, he's referencing the Psalms and the Psalms is referencing this. And so like, they're all interconnected, uh, which is a really cool thing to me and how, how all of this works together. And so, yeah, it's for sure. Um, John looks back on this and says, man, that this is, Jesus is the Passover lamb. Um, and, and why it feels more out of why that's important. And so, you know, we, we get to the end of this and, you know, you, you've had all this discussion <clears throat> and there's going to be more uh, on how to, you know, um, celebrate this. And, and I think in, in reflecting on all of this and reflecting on the, the laws given for how to celebrate the Passover and all of its meaning, and, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit throughout this podcast, is that, you know, they're, they're having to learn what it means for them to be free. Um, not only are they actually being freed now, they're going to need to remember it on a yearly basis. Like he's requiring them to recall it. Remember where you came from. Remember what's happened to you. Remember how I delivered you from Egypt. And they're going to reflect on that. And, you know, I, I think a lot of times we think like, um, you know, what. Why why do I have to do all this like physical thing? Like why do we have to have unleavened bread and why do we have to do this? Why can't we just, you know, intellectually remember this mm-hmm. um and reflect on it? And I think part of it is like this physical action of doing something, it associates it with you. Like you you become tied to it physically. And and there's a real deal with it. I mean, and this is kind of crass and and gross, but um but think I mean think about like you know, you, you used to like my chili that I made, that I make, you know, <laughs> I was but like, where are we going with this? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it could, it could go in a lot of different <laughs> directions. Uh, but anyways, I didn't think about that whenever I started this, but, um, you know, like you, you threw up one time whenever you had chili, right. And you got this nasty taste in your mouth 
associated with chili now, yeah. right? And yeah. so now you can't eat chili because it's it's associated with this bad thing that happened to you. Uh, and I mean, the same thing happens for anybody else. For whatever you were eating, if you throw up, like yeah. you get you associate that that mm-hmm. thing forever with that nasty nasty taste. Um, and and so, but the same is for good things. You know, whenever something good happens, just like we talked about with Rocky Top, it's like you hear something that's always associated with this good feeling and good moment. Now, like you're like attuned to it, you you resonate with it, and just the same, it's like that whenever they whenever they um, take this meal, it both helps them reflect on what actually happened physically. Uh, it helps them get into it, like um, you know, actually enter into it as we were slaves in Egypt. But it also helps them, like over time, um, recognize more fully their freedom. Um, and and I I just kind of quickly wrote this today. Um, is there's something um, really important, you know? I think from this um, from this liturgical um, meal that they have. It seems that being freed from slavery of Egypt isn't just a one-off event. It's a truth to immerse themselves in yearly and act it out physically, not just to be physically intellectually understood. There's a relationship between what we do with our bodies and how it affects our minds. Not only did future Israelites need to realize their freedom uh, and, and the grace of God, but it seems that even the Israelites in this time they they needed to almost slow soak in this thing, in this thing that happened so that they could, uh, you know, have this physical reminder so that they could slowly come into this realization of what it all meant. Um, if you've ever watched, there's a, there's a video by a guy um, on YouTube. He, he's got a channel called Smarter Every Day, and there's this um, inverse bike where, you know, you've turned the handles left and the wheel turns right. Uh, and you turn the handles right and the wheel turns left. And he goes through this like, I know intellectually what to do with the bike, but I can't actually physically do it because I've always been, I've always known that if I turn the handle right, the wheel goes right. And if I turn the handle left, the wheel goes left. But he intellectually knows how to do it, but his body doesn't know how to receive the intellect, you know, the, the, the actual thing that he knows. And so it takes time and practice and for in order for him to learn, he has to relearn how to ride the bike mm-hmm. because it's different. And to the point where he learns how to ride the new bike, the inverse bike, and he's actually forgotten how to ride the old bike. And the point is, the point that I'm trying to make is that that's what the that's what the Israelites have to do. They've been told all these years you are slaves. You are you belong to me and you have no options. And now all of a sudden there's this God that showed up and like in a matter of months, if, if that, their whole lives have been flipped upside down. And it's not something that can just immediately happen that changes like what, they, what they've been taught their whole lives that we're slaves. They have to be, it's got to be something that's learned over time. Just because you have this immediate release of the slaves doesn't mean that they're not slaves still in their heart. You know, they're still, they're still like, we're still like, that's where we belong. We belong in Egypt. You know, that's where, and and we're going to see that. They're going to long back for Egypt. They still think they belong in Egypt, but this meal is to help them like slowly in all of the feasts or helping them realize what's happened and making it real to them and slowly bringing them into that. 
But so they intellectually know that they're free, but the slavery of Egypt is somehow still a part of them. So that you can't just make an intellectual decision, you know, that changes what you've been programmed to believe by the tyrant king uh, your whole life about yourself. It takes constant practice to come to grips with their own freedom and living like it's true. Maybe the same is true for us. Maybe the realization of Jesus' exodus is both a full truth in the moment in which we receive it, but it's also that takes time and practice for us to realize its full implications in our lives. We are free from the slavery of sin and the tyrant king who subjected us, but often we look we live as if we are still slaves to them. This is the type of thing, the type of liturgy that I think that we often miss in the church and that we need to be living out more often because it's helping us. It it gives me more flavor to the idea of work out your own salvation. Like we look at that and we're like, that's a problem text. Like how do you work out your own salvation as if you were you were able to do it on your own? And no, of course, we're not able to do it on our own. Um, but the realization of how it changes us and what the implications are for it is a overtime developed thing. You know, that where today I see God's grace differently than I did yesterday and that I experience it anew every day. And so I, I think that that's what these types of meals are supposed to do. They're tying something so beautiful and good uh, to you, to a meal. And then whenever you experience that meal, you get to enter into that freedom from slavery again, and it re-identifies who you are. The, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer a, you know, subject to death, and this tyrant king no longer rules over me. Instead, I belong to Yahweh.